Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it. But you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. Come and visit us there so you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide hundreds of written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. If you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, you'll instantly gain access to all that information. As you know, each week we have a giveaway. The winner of last week's Tower Jigsaw Puzzle Giveaway is Joe in New Jersey. Congratulations, Joe. May it bring you many hours of constructive destruction. This week, we're talking about the Ten of Swords, the Lord of Ruin, and the last of the Gemini cards. All three Gemini cards are associated with choice, so for this week's giveaway, we are offering perhaps the hardest choice of all. Any one thing from our Red Bubble store. You can check out our inventory at www.redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. If you're the winner, you'll get to choose your prize and it won't ruin your bank account. You can sign up as a patron and find out more about the drawing at our website, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. In other news this week, Mel and I had the best time ever meeting up with Fortune's Wheelhouse fans in Sturbridge, Mass. this last weekend. The guest of honor was none other than America's favorite ceremonial magician, Archbishop of Thelema, guitar hero, and overall awesome guy, Lon Milo Duquette. Wow. Where can you see photos and videos of everything we got up to? Well, if you're on Facebook, you can connect with other listeners at Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy. That's the officially unofficial Fortune's Wheelhouse group, where even now some 275 listeners are sharing their love of esoteric tarot. You too could be one of them. Remember, you can always check in with me and Mel at our individual websites. I'm at www.tsusanchang.com. That's T as in tarot, susanchang.com. And my Etsy shop is at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. Mel's blog is at www.tabulamundi.com. And you can order her products at tarotcart.com. And we each have newsletters where you can sign up to hear about anything new that's happening in our worlds. Finally, if you have a moment and you haven't done it yet, would you please leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes? You can do it that way too. It's free, it's easy to do, and it really does help spread the word. Thanks for doing that and helping us out. And now, here's this week's episode.
Welcome to the Lord of Rune, the Ten of Swords. Aren't you excited? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, this is, I've been really looking forward to it. As tired as we are at the end of the day, there's something about facing what most people consider the worst card in the deck. And it's special for that reason. Hopefully by the end of this episode, we'll have given ourselves and everybody else some ways of dealing with the card that sends a shudder down everybody's spine with the Ten Swords embedded in it. (laughs) So uh, known as the Lord of Rune in, in both systems, which is pretty final in the journey of the fool. This is the final card. If you think of the risks of the fool standing on his cliff, the fear that he will fall. This is what happens if he falls. He ends up on the ground, apparently deceased. His journey is one of finding his way. He is at a crossroads in the Libra cards, two, three, and four of swords. He tries to navigate his way with the Aquarius cards, the five, six, and seven of swords. And then he commits to a choice in the eight, nine, and 10 of swords with Gemini. That choice can lead him to ruin, as we see. In that process of choosing, We have the Eight of Swords, which was that moment of paralysis with too many options. The Nine of Swords, where we got rid of a bunch of the options, killed them off. And then the Ten of Swords with the commitment to the choice. The uh, Or the consequences. The do or die. Yeah, and I guess this would be the die. (laughs) But we should remember that, you know, in any choice, there's more than one possibility of how it may end up. And this card, although it is stark and scary, is only one way of looking. There are definitely ways of considering this a hopeful card, and we will get to those. So do not despair. So we are now at the sun governing the final decan of Gemini, 20 to 29 degrees in the sign of the twins. We killed off a twin, it looks like, and are dealing with the consequences of that. It's really interesting. The other cards of the sun are much more sunny, (laughs) literally. As with every other planet except for Mars, you have five sun cards in the minor arcana. You have the sun in Aries, the three of wands or virtue. You have the, here we are, the sun in Gemini, the Lord of Rune, the Ten of Swords. You have the sun in Virgo, Prudence, the Eight of Discs or Pentacles, then Sun in Scorpio, or the Lord of Pleasure, uh, Six of Cups. And then you have the Sun in Capricorn, Lord of Power, Four of Discs, or Pentacles. So Virtue, Prudence, Pleasure, Power, and Ruin. Which one doesn't belong? (laughs) Which one is not like the others? (laughs) And why? So maybe we can talk about the Sun and why it does so poorly here. I think because it's A 10, and thus Saturn, is related to the card. It's it's both Earth and Saturn, the universe card. And Saturn is the enemy of the sun, supposedly. Yeah, so, because Saturn is in its exaltation in Libra and fall in Aries, and it's the opposite for the sun. Sun is in exaltation in Aries and fall in Libra. Exactly. They're enemies. They're enemies. We think of Saturn as the greater malefic. And he is more powerful at night in the night sect charts. Yeah, and this card is, it's kind of like at the threshold between night and dawn. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Right before dawn. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about, like, 
you know, why the sun should be uh, such a difficult planet to deal with, with this, you know, maybe it has to do with just the ability of the sun to drive things to extremes, you know, its power and its rationality. And if you take that like all the way to the nth degree, to the 10th degree in swords, then you have something that is thinking yourself into a corner or fanaticism we talked about in the nine of swords, but it reminds me of like an extremist position where the only thing you can do is blow yourself up. You know, it's like a terrorism card in a way. Yeah. It's like you take the principle all the way to its final logical conclusion and you lose all of the gray areas. Like when the sun, oh, like, it's like when the sun is at the height of the sky, it's bright out. You have nothing but black and white and shadows. There's no gray areas left. It's also the, just the degradation of the suit, you know, yeah. like the final gasp of the suit. I guess that we think of the 10, Crowley thinks of the 10 as really being, you know, the fall of the suit, the final decline. But it's also perhaps true that there's something in each suit about the potential of the suit unfolding. And if the potential of the swords is a dark potential, we see that completely yeah. unfolded. Yeah. As opposed to in the cups, you know, we see it as a fairly uh, benign potential that opens up into the nine and 10. So also, you know, maybe it's that Malkut Earth isn't that compatible. The heaviness of Earth and Saturn isn't that compatible with the lightness of thought. Yeah. You know, the swords being thought. Mm -hmm. And that maybe the suit's potential for destructiveness doesn't work so well in the material world where things can actually be destroyed. Yeah. I was thinking about the sun as light and our relationship with light. We, in a lot of the mythology, we worship the light, we worship the sun, but what would happen if the sun never went out, right? You know, that's used as a torture for people, nighttime deprivation, deprivation of sleep. You would go crazy. You do go crazy. Mm. And I think that that's something that happens with this card. The, this sort of overexposure thing it's that like happens. That scene that makes me shudder in Clockwork Orange. Oh, God! <laughs> I know, I hate don't, that. Don't, don't. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's okay. I know, <laughs> it really bothers me, too. <laughs> I guess we should mention, you know, with the eye being held open. Yeah. As the, yeah. Oh. And there's so much violence in that movie, and for some reason, that's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. For me, too, yeah. Yeah. And I think also that the light can be a metaphor for knowledge, right? And we think of knowledge also as a good thing. But go back to the story of Eden, when they take the bite of the apple and become wise, that is the great tragedy, right? That's what causes the fall. Right. So sun is knowledge as sin. is something that's going on in here. You may or may not agree with it, but that's still some of the nature of the card. The um, associated majors are the sun... The sun is the sun, and the lovers um, are are twins again, and I think that's why that really that Eden myth really seems so important to this card because of the sun being kind of a card of innocence and you know directness and purity, but you know and the idea that it's also what allows them to detect after they receive the knowledge. Oh my God, I'm naked that feeling of overexposure of being, or if you're in the sun too long, you get burnt. You know, I think there's really a, 
a message in here about too much of a good thing. Yeah. Can only go downhill from here. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely something, maybe we'll get to it with the uh, Rider-Waite-Smith card about how highly Christians value the prelapsarian state. You know, the idea that there's this kind of like condition of innocence we're all trying to get back to, which I think is totally bogus. But anyway. <laughs> Oh, we should talk about the very interesting time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. So we talked about it a little bit in the two of cups, but here we have the, um, the two of cups, of course, is the beginning decan of cancer. And this is the final decan of Gemini, which precedes it. So in that we see the end of a year and the beginning of a new one, according to many, many systems, which, uh, time the new year by the summer solstice the instead of the equinox. One, yep. Yeah, the flooding of the Nile, the heliacal rising of Sirius. Right. So at this point, the sun, when it gets to the last day of this decan, it, we have the solstice, and from there on in, the sun starts to decrease in its power. You don't see it yet, but it's coming. You can really think of the sun and lovers cards as a metaphor for that because it's like, here's the sun and here's the sword of the lovers, which are associated with the Hebrew letter Zion, cutting off the light of the sun. So that masculine power is diminishing from this point on for the next six months. Yeah. Go girls. <laughs> <laughs> and it is also known June 20th as the marriage of the Lord and the lady. That same midsummer holiday is you know, when she takes over power. So the beginnings of that cycle. Um, yeah, that Gemini to Sagittarius cycle. Right, right. Where, and, you know, and Midsummer as the death of the king is, you know, is an old tradition. And it's considered as part of the agricultural cycle, right? So you have to kill off the king in order to fertilize yep. king for a year. Right, <laughs> right, right. And yep. that's what makes the harvest good. So the timing of the death of the king in midsummer makes possible the good harvest. That whole story about the sun and light and darkness, it totally speaks to this card, and especially in terms of the Gemini polarities of all the twins. Yeah. Like we've mentioned already, we've mentioned Cain and Abel and Castor and Pollux, obviously, but mm -hmm. there's um so many other twins. And, and it seems like in all cases, there's a light twin and a dark twin, you know, a good twin or a bad twin. So you've got in, in Celtic, mm -hmm. you've got Dylan and Lou. Mm. Um, they were twins of dark and light. Oh, that's the Lou of Lunasa? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. They were born from Arianrod. If I'm pronouncing that right, she was the goddess of the star wheel. Mm -hmm. Then you have the twins Horus and Set. Well, right. they're not exactly twins, but kind of, kind, kind of, of sorta. Yep. Um, then there's another one I wasn't familiar with, but I found uh, they were born from Zervan, which is interesting. Oh, Zervan of the Five of Wands yeah. card. Yeah. Cool. Um, Mesopotamian uh, fertility uh, god. Ahura Mazda and ha Ahir Ah. Ariman, um, Ahura the, Mazda, the god of light. Right? Yep, and yeah, mm -hmm. they were again light and darkness, or mm -hmm. God and the devil. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because they all are polarities of light and darkness. And the other thing that was cool is 
Castor and Pollux themselves, you know, we think of Venus as the morning and evening star, Mm -hmm. but Castor was also connected somehow to the idea of the morning star and Pollux to the evening star. So uh, Castor was a horseman associated with horses and Pollux was associated with thieves in darkness. So we've got that morning star. And horses as a solar uh, reference as well. Yeah, Lucifer, the light bringer. Yep, horses are that way. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the evening star, Vesper. Mm -hmm. So I guess the brighter the light, the darker the shadow thing. And that whole biting of the apple, dividing things into good and evil. Yeah, binaries. Yeah, from from unity to, to light and dark or good and evil. Yeah, and when we say someone sees things in black and white, that's a judgment that we make about the lack of nuance. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. It's so cool to hear about these myths because even though the card is scary and it's got death and it's got black and white and there's a starkness to it, when you know the myths, there's an inevitability about it. What else could be there, right? right? Right, You know, and why should you be afraid of this card if you're not afraid of the summer solstice, right? right? right. <laughs> you know, there's right. something about the cycles that's very familiar and which doesn't have to be about your personal homicide. <laughs> right. We're all still here. Yes, there is going to be change. There's always change. And yes, it's sad when the days get shorter. We all feel it. But that's just part of the way things go. And there's no reason to be any more afraid of it than you are of any other part of life. It's all part of the same thing. And there's always the other side of it. There's always the other side of it. I kind of look at this card as the worst is over. You know, what's done is done. It's done. And you move on to something that could be better, but it's going to be different. Because whatever it was is over. (laughs) Right. And when you think about this card as opposed to like the opposite side of the cycle, the Ten of Wands going into the Two of Discs, you know, that talks about also the end of the cycle. But, you know, the increase of the light starting with the Two of Discs is bound up in the necessity of change, which is why it's called the Lord of Change. Yep, with the wheel there. Yeah, Remember with the Two of Cups, I brought up the poem Love Among the Ruins just because, you know, it's those two cards, ruin and love. (laughs) Literally, it's a poem by Robert Browning. I'm not going to redo the whole poem, but it just talks about how the monuments of ego that we create with our swords, nevertheless, what endures is love. And so that, to me, speaks of the transition from this Ten of Swords cards to the Two of Cups card, which follows it that the uh, creations of the mind are nothing as uh, in comparison to the works of the heart. So um, decans associated, the decan associated with this is, of course, the final decan of Gemini, mutable decan of mutable sign. Everything's changing. Nothing is staying the same. And the imagery is quite military. Um, a man clothed in mail with a bow, arrows, and quiver. A man seeking for arms and a Fool holding in the right hand a bird, in his left a pipe. Why? Why? Bird, Gemini, Mercury kind of thing? Mm, yeah, I guess. You know, power of the voice. <laughs> pipe, if it's air. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, it's interesting, a man seeking for arms and a fool holding in the right hand, you know, there's a the, the fool, duality the of fool air, and the fool. And then the mercurial trickster yeah. thing of Gemini. Yeah. Not that Agrippa was thinking of it, but yeah. we can. Yeah. Audacity, honesty, division of labor and consolation. Forgetfulness, wrath, boldness, just scurrilities and unprofitable words, which sounds oh, a little like the last yeah, one, right? Yeah, again, unprofitable words. Yeah. Wasn't that yeah. the eight? Or? Well, we had lack of profit in the eight oh, okay. from yeah, knowledge, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so. and then mean words in the nine. Yeah, so okay. this is kind of yep. a combination of the two. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess, I guess what we see here is the um, culmination of the conflict aspect and the verbal aspect of the sword suit. You take those two and you get folks fighting with unprofitable words or, you know, words giving way to the sword. So that is the sector of the sky, as we've spoken about before. Um, So Gemini being associated with the twins, Castor and Pollux. One thing that I have for this card, it is kind of cool, some mythology stuff. So Mm -hmm. Castor and Pollux, I don't know if we mentioned that they were a crew of the Argo. That's so cool. Um, So the Argo was the ship Jason used to go after the Golden Fleece. So that whole mythology is full of some great tragedies that kind of call this card to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned that Jason, too, is the great-grandson of Hermes. So there, That's you, so there awesome. you go. That brings in the Mercury aspect. So yeah. the, the story is that, you know... Um, How cool is it that both Jason and Odysseus are like our great travelers of myth I know. and that they're great-grandsons of Hermes? Yep. Yeah, that is cool. I thought that was neat too. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the the myth goes that he was wanted the golden fleece, and the king of uh, Colchis was gonna give it to him if he could do all these like really harrowing, harrowing <laughs> things. Of just course. one more thing, <laughs> right? All, all these like tasks that were nearly impossible, of course, to mm-hmm. do. The king had a daughter, Medea, who was a sorceress, and mm-hmm. interestingly, something of. A hermaphrodite in a sense really not a hermaphrodite physically mm-hmm. but that she was considered to have now this is kind of misogynistic but she was considered to have too many skills and that was a masculine <laughs> thing so she was considered yeah. kind of kind of manly because she was too good at things anyway yeah. medea either fell in love or was caused there's some that say she was caused to fall in love with Jason through uh, Eros, Aphrodite telling Eros to, to shoot the arrow, causing mm-hmm. some trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she, anyway, she falls in love with Jason, and so she says, hey, I'll help you get the fleece. I, I got some skills, because she was a great sorceress. <laughs> yeah. So she gives him all sorts of potions and unguents and tells him how to accomplish each of these huge tasks. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says, but... But if if I'm going to do this for you, you have to take me with you when you go and marry me. And so, yeah, he agrees. He's like, fine. <laughs> yeah, he agrees, to, he agrees to it. He says, all right, I'll take you with me and I'll marry you. And so uh, he does. And um, she gives him all the magical help. Mm-hmm. And as they're leaving with the fleece, after all these tasks are accomplished, her father comes after them and she kills her own brother. She kills him and dismembers him and chops him God. up into little pieces. And knowing that the father will, it'll take him some time to go and retrieve his body for proper burial. So yeah. 
that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> and then also, so there's there's more that that's pretty tragic. So she, you know, she she also somehow tricks these daughters of Peleos at some time. She she ends up doing something for Jason's father to restore his youth. And they're like, oh, our dad needs help too. Can you know, can you do the same for him? And she tricks them. She shows them. She takes an old, the oldest ram of their flock and chops it up in little pieces and throws it in a cauldron with some herbs and boils it up and uh, says, this is what you do to your dad if you want him to be young again. <laughs> and so they fall for it and they chop up their father and boil him. And Idiots. It doesn't work. Of course. <laughs> of course. Because when, yeah. when she does it to the ram, he springs out as a newborn right. lamb. You know? Right. I remember that of, story. Of course. And then, yeah. uh, so then, the, then, of course, we have more tragedy in this story. So that's right. why it's perfect for this card. It's got all sorts of brutality and tragedy yeah. and endings and deaths. And yeah. Blah, blah, doesn't blah. she kill her own children? In the yeah, end. so Jason yeah. abandons her for another woman, of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. and as revenge, she kills her, her their chil- children. Her, their yeah. children, the, yeah. the children she had with them. You know, some say it was revenge, which probably was, but it, it yeah. could have been. There's some other excuse they give. I forget what it was. That's mm-hmm. not as harsh as revenge on her mm-hmm. part. But anyway, she kills her own children. She also kills her rival, the woman that. Mm-hmm. He goes off with by sending a, a poisoned dress, and when right. she puts it on, it kills her That's and bursts right. into flames and takes out her and her father, kills them. She Don't tries mess she, with the sorcerers. She even tries to poison her next. She, she gets ends up getting remarried at some point. <laughs> Who would take her? I don't know. But uh, she ends up trying to poison her next husband's son, her stepson, mm-hmm. so that her son would get the. Yeah, be the heir or whatever. So wow. she was a nasty bit of work, but there wasn't a happy ending for Jason either mm-hmm. because he because he broke his vow mm-hmm. to her. He lost favor with Hera, right? Because um, you know she's yeah goddess of marriage, and I guess she was he was a favorite of hers um, until then. Until then, yeah, because he broke his his marriage vow. So anyway, he falls asleep on his ship, the Argo, and is killed when the the stern or the beam falls on him and crushes him. So Yeah, death um, all around. Death all yeah. around. Not not a lot of pleasant stories and there. That's a real eight, nine, ten sword story, really. And I mean Speaking yeah. of death, the other thing that stuck out to me when I was reading this myth is that the Argo, the ship mm-hmm. that he was on that that Castor and Pollux were part of the crew, had a crew of fifty. That's the number of noon. Oh, is it? Death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. That's awesome. That's, that's, the that's, num- awesome. that's the number of the Hebrew letter Nun, which is associated with the death card. Cool. And the other thing that kind of ties in is that Gemini, the constellation, the stars, mm-hmm. are above the stars of the Argo, the ship. Oh, I see. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why the twins were patrons or gods of seafaring, worshipped by seafarers, you know. Yeah, both because they were on the ship and because they were associated because, with the yeah, stars. And because, yeah, their yeah. stars were. And, and there's another reason in that those two stars are four and a half degrees or something apart in the sky. And so sailors could use them to calibrate. Ask if they had a navigation. Ca- yeah, to calibrate quality. distances yeah. and stuff. So they were gods sacred to uh, seafaring people. Yeah, made it easier for them to get around. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that the whole story seems like the eight, nine, ten sequence with the eight, like, I've got a problem. Can you help me solve it? What comes out of that decision? Cruelty and death. (laughs) It's a wicked, tough story. It Mm. is, but so appropriate. But so appropriate. Yeah. That's right. You know, the tragedies, the consequences are outsized, but at the same time, they were brought on by the breaking of the promise. Yeah. Yeah. Overkill. Overkill. <laughs> that is literally... This is, the, this is this yeah. card. Is This is the card of overkill. It totally is. I mean, who the hell needs 10 swords in their back? One, One would have done the job. One will do. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we should talk Kabbalah before we forget. Uh, Malkut and Yetzira. Here is the final descent, I guess you would say, of the suit of formation where everything that is was formed in the nine, in the foundation, uh, yesod of the mind, uh, unfolds in the ten, uh, is ready to take um, reality in the, in the realm of Malkut. And, you know, I think this is just interesting to think about maybe the four worlds and how, you know, going from Atzilut to Briad to Yetzira to Asiya, you know, the ten of one suit, unfolds into the two of the next. Yep. So the ten of swords has to unfold into the two of discs. When you have had too much of the mind, you go to the opposite, to the body, and the body begins the pentacle suit um, or disc suit. It's kind of interesting. You see, you know, elementally going from fire to water. Mind over matter. Yeah, literally mind over <laughs> right. matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So fire over water, ten of wands to two of cups, and then air to earth, ten of swords to two of discs. So we go from the uh, destructive constructs of the mind, its logical conclusions, to the setting in motion of a new material world. And, you know, just in like practical terms, there's something to be said for that. Like when you're too bound up in your head, it's good to do something with your hands. Yeah, to just go plant something or clean something or whatever. I think there's definitely a lesson in that transition from Yetzira to Asiya. You know, the progression of the sword suit ending down here, Malkut, the material world. Thoughts in this world are slippery things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's the whole Mercury trickster thing. Mm -hmm. Words are are tricky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas things, you kind of know where you stand with them. Yeah. You know, you can trust them not to move real quick. <laughs> so uh, historical associations of the card. This is interesting. So the Cardamancy book I use is, uh, what is it called? Fortune Telling with Playing Cards or something like that. Uh, Jonathan D's book. There's a little rhyme that this 19th century British peer made up for each of the cards that's presented in this book they're kind of silly but the one for the ten of spades i thought was kind of good they're just little four line rhymes tis seen by this long ten of spades that thou shalt follow many trades and thrive by none but women they by this chance shall not work but play Hmm. So, well, there's a funny thing in Cardomancy where they do this thing where if it's read for a guy, it means one thing. And if it's read for a woman, uh. it means the opposite thing. So that's what's going on there. 
But another thing that's kind of curious about this card is that in Atea's meaning for it, again, the reversal is actually quite good. So the uh, the upright meanings, weeping, tears, sobs, groans, lamentations, everything you would expect, right? Sadness, uh, ballads of desolation. But reversed, advantage, gain, profit, success, grace, favor, benefit. So, you know, um, so it's almost like there's an emphasis on the new day dawning aspect of the card. Yep. And that this card is like more deeply polar than any other one we've seen. Like the reversal really matters, according to Atea. I don't read it that way, but, you know, that's a way to deal with it when you have black and white like you do with this card, you know, if there's a reversal, it has to be its opposite. It may have been Etea who said that upright, it's one of the worst cards in the deck. And I think few would disagree. Mm. When you read that little rhyme, it reminded me, I have to say, mm-hmm. the three word, oh, the yeah. three word rhyming spell I made for this card was purge the dirge. <laughs> That's great. Purge the dirge. <laughs> you, you have to have a sense of humor with this card. It's hard to. You do. But it's helpful. You do. But, I mean, you look at the card and it's just so overkill that yeah, you've it's, got it's to. Over, it's, it's like overkill, overdoing it. And um, I think in the book for the Rosetta Tarot, I called it the woe is me card. <laughs> That's not to... I, I feel like... Self-pity is an important stage. I don't believe in those who look down on people who pity themselves, because I think you have to go through that in order to get to the other side. You know, it's self-pity is a stage of grief. On the other hand, you can't stay there forever. Right. And I think that's what this card is about, like the necessity of moving on at some point. Purge the dirge. (laughs) That's awesome. That's really very funny. I liked making up the three-word rhymes like that because they really stick and yeah. they're good for your spells. If you just get that card, you can just go, oh, no, purge the dirge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. All right. So uh, are we good to go on to Rider-Waite-Smith? Sure. All Why right. Not? So this card, this terrifying card, is a figure lying prone or uh, you could say prostrate on the ground. And prostate on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) We are punchy, man. Sorry, man. It's okay. And they're like, you know, and it's and and it's not just that they're dead. The person who killed them definitely wanted to add insult to injury. Yeah, there is, you know, no reason for that. The background is the black night of either dawn or dusk and it's generally believed to be dawn because the sun is associated with this card and that light on the horizon is the new day i never really thought about this but is that a river behind the it figure? looks like water it looks like water and i thought that was curious too so yeah. a couple things i thought of was you know the rivers of death the you know the waters of death mm-hmm. the river sticks and whatnot but i was also thinking about it in terms of well castor and pollux as being seafaring sailors seafaring gods and then um this when we talked a little bit in the eight the episode on the eight on the stars of the constellation the chinese all had water right here and one of the one of the stars 
of that really they 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 like revered water and strictly punished those who squandered water and one of the stars was called anyway it meant the word meant the axe oh that's great you know yeah. and so that seems yeah. really appropriate because that was the punishment for abusing or or using too much or Squandering wow. water was the axe. <laughs> it's harsh. It is harsh. But it does sort of save resources. <laughs> One yes, less. Indeed. Well, the other thing that I'm thinking, and I never really have thought about this before, but it's so cool to think about the waters of the unconscious, right? And it's sort of like when you have relied on your mind all the way to the end, you know, the mind has taken over to the point that you cannot see your way out of what you've thought yourself into eventually you're going to collapse and then the waters of the unconscious will return once more collapsed on the shores of the unconscious or like when you're up at night awakened by your thoughts like the nine of swords eventually you will collapse and the unconscious will have a chance to take over that's another way to approach this card rather than the gruesome literal death Mm -hmm. because it's the last of the sword suit it can also just be the end of an idea. Yeah. You know? I've had it for that. The end yeah. of a mental construct of some or kind. Or even like or... A, a phase where you needed to use your mind a lot to do something. Yep. How else would you express it other than the Ten of Swords? The thing that I've often found it coming across as is, you know, I talked about that sequence from the Eight, Nine to Ten of Swords as paralysis, anxiety, depression. And I often see this card for people who are in that kind of state of clinical depression where you can't get out of bed. So it really manifests as mental exhaustion or even physical exhaustion Mm -hmm. pinned to the bed and not really being able to see the light of day that's breaking over the horizon. Right. Another dark hour before the dawn card. Exactly. Exactly. This figure is supposed to be Thomas Beckett or Thomas A. Beckett, which I think is a misnomer because he wasn't actually French. Uh, He was at one time the Archbishop of Canterbury, so the head of the Church of England, and he was uh, martyred um, because of political machinations. He was an outspoken figure who people did not get along with. He was uh, said to have been murdered by a number of scheming henchmen, and they not only killed him but they actually did it with multiple swords and one through the head, you know, so sun, resh, head, mm-hmm. um, Hebrew mm-hmm. letter resh means head. Yep. And, you know, and she was careful, Pamela Coleman Smith, to include a sword through the head in this. And you know what uh, else is interesting? It looks like the sword that's like plunged in the furthest is in the heart. Yeah. Tiferet. Yeah. The sun, true. which is again the sun. You so know, I never noticed that. It's, it's plunged in a lot deeper than the yeah. others. Hmm. So I, that's another sun reference. That's I think. cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you could even think of that as six, nine, ten—the three, uh, three swords to the right as down the middle pillar, if you like. That's really cool. And also, you know, sword lovers, Zion. So that's something that we expect to see. Uh, there's a couple of things that are interesting about this figure. The brown shirt. He was supposed to have been. This, it was supposed to be discovered that under his, you know, papal robes or his, you know, bishop's robes, he was wearing a hair shirt as a sign of penance. 
I think that there is, uh, again, some of that self-recrimination quality to this card. And then finally, it's the gesture that he's making is very yeah. interesting, right? Yeah, the benediction yeah. sign of benediction. So the two fingers up can be said to be, you know, the dual nature of Christ as human and divine. The three fingers down can be said to mean the triune nature of God. The pentagram. Or the pentagram, which is exactly. a symbol of man, which is also associated matter with Malkut spirit, and ten, spirit over yep. matter, yep. right? And as above, so below. As above, so below. That was the next thing I was going to say. That the two, you know, it pointing to above and to below. Anyway, I did some very flailing around, stupid, not really knowing what I was doing, kind of internet research on this. Is there any other kind? <laughs> <laughs> Look up what kind of mudra this might be for yoga. And I came up with prana mudra, which, uh, you know, life force mudra, mm-hmm. which the idea is to conserve and re- reinvigorate the life force, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. For, you know, yeah, this card. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> But, um, and I, I have the many resurrection times, after death. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I've many times said that this was the same as the Hierophant's gesture, but you know, I don't think it is exactly the same. I think the Hierophant and the Six of Discs both have the same gesture. He's clearly putting his ring finger to his thumb and not his yeah. pinky, which is weird. Yeah. The Hierophant doesn't have the thumb down. He's, the thumb is out. So, it looks a little bit different. And the six of discs, six of pentacles, the merchant, you know, with the coins, he's throwing out the coins. He's got his two, his ring finger and his pinky down, but his other three fingers out. So those two are similar, which makes sense since they're both related, Taurus, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a thing. And then there is, of course, the hand gesture of the devil, which is all five fingers up. Nanu, nanu. Nanu, nanu. <laughs> Uh, matter over spirit kind of a thing. Mockery of the as above, so below. It's just what you see is what you get. I think those are the four the four uh, gestural cards of the deck. And this one is said to symbolize this gesture that everything's okay, actually. Yeah. You know, it's supposed to be like this. It's only acupuncture. <laughs> it is only a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, and one last thing about this um, card is that some people interpret the black sky as sort of thunderclouds or a storm or the a storm breaking, you know, the light that comes through the dark cumulonimbus cloud when it's just about done. And apparently in the story of Thomas Beckett, as the murderers left the cathedral, a storm cloud burst over it. So that's another little echo of that mm. story in here there's also the uh, red robe thrown over him or, yeah uh red you know being associated with the sun mm-hmm. um, and life force mm-hmm. as you mentioned mm-hmm. and the white sleeves of good intentions when you think about the sun card and the lover's card in comparison to this you can almost see the banner of the sun as if it's wrapped around him yeah and the red right. banner of the sun is yep. almost like his outer vestment but another thing to think about is just the contrast between the nakedness of those figures and the clothedness yeah, of right, the right. He's all of, covered up. He's all covered up. There's something about the nakedness of those figures has to do with their lack of knowledge 
And I think there's a link you can make between what happened the moment after where they eat of the fruit of the knowledge and mm. they must clothe themselves. Yep. And then, you know, this figure on the Ten of Swords is the end of that lineage of those who are feeling shamed, you know, so that they must be clothed in not just one layer, but three layers of garments, yep. right? Yep. It's a logical conclusion of what must happen. I also seem to think that there's like something about the sun card, the sun in the sun, and then the sun in the lovers. Like the sun in the lovers is like a cartoon version of the sun. You know, all it is is a circle and some lines like mm -hmm. a kid would draw. So there's almost like a... Innocence. Yeah, but also like theory, you know, it's sort of like, this is the idea of the sun. And if you take the idea of the sun all the way to its logical conclusion, you'll be left with nothing but black and white consequences and conclusions. Or in this case, black and yellow, the, color, and the yellow, colors of yeah. danger in nature. Yeah. I think that's definitely something that people. Yeah. Get black from and yellow that. combination is always used for da danger. And, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and snakes, snakes and bumblebees and, and warning signs and all sorts of things. I bet you that's one of the reasons people have such a visceral reaction to this card. You know, it's not yep. just what it says, but the fact that it looks like something that could sting or mm -hmm. hurt you. Pretty interesting. And black and yellow are just the dark and the light, you know? That's true. That's true. Now, something crazy about this is that, um, okay, so Waite said that the meaning of this was whatsoever is intimated by the design. Can't you just say, just look at the card, right? Also no, pain, we can't. <laughs> we can't. Also pain, affliction, tears, sadness, desolation. It is not especially a card of violent death. Especially. Not especially. He didn't say it was not. And then he says reverse advantage, profit, success, just like Atea did. But, you know, Robert Wang in Kabbalistic Tarot says that this is more of a death card than... The death card. There is a finality to this that... There's the death of something. I mean, right. yeah, it could be an actual death, but it could be just the death of something. You know, one positive interpretation of the card is if if you're asking a question about spiritual matters and get this card, I think it's Liber Theta. Somewhere I saw mm -hmm. that it's the end of delusion. Yeah. You know? you know, this card makes me think of like when you have believed in something for a long time and then you see it played out in real life and it's incredibly wrong and a disappointment to you. And suddenly that it it's the death the, of that the, idea. The end of a friendship. It could it be, could you know, be, it's yeah. the end of something, the yeah. end of a way of looking at something or anything. Right. And it's like when the idea meets the reality, when the, the swords give way to the discs, you know, at that moment you recognize that the, in the real world, the idea is untenable. You know, so that's, that becomes the death. The surrender of the ego or the uh, death of the intellectual construct that you were clinging to. Okay, on to Thoth. Oh, you know what's cool about this? Didn't we say that like all of the tens except for the wands have the tree of life formation? Yeah. On it? Yep. Yeah. That's something I really appreciate about what she did with this card. It's cool. It is cool. So she's got same kind of swords or different kinds of swords? Different. So first off, to get right off the bat, at first glance, you look at this card and it looks like there's eight swords. And right. if you look closely, there is, you see the one in the center all broken up, the one with the heart on it, because that's Tiferet, the heart. That one's all broken up. But the tenth sword is- I guess it's, it's just, just hidden, hidden yeah. because those two at the bottom are- um, Yeah, they're overlapping, They're overlapping I guess. each other. I guess that's the only way you could do it. Yep. But wow, I've never so, looked so, at the yeah, hilts the, before. The one with the heart is um, Tiferet, the- 
because Tiferet, the heart center of the sun, mm-hmm. um, and that's the one that's all broken up. Below it is the one for Isod, which has, it looks like it has a sun symbol on it, too. Do you think too. so? I think it might be a crab. I don't know. It almost looks like, I don't know. I need a magnifying glass to yeah. see it, honestly. Well, it's round. It's round and, and it's it has a dot like, on it, but it's off center. Yeah, it is off center, and it so could have know. little legs coming out. <laughs> I don't know. No, but then the bottom one has the crescent, so that has and to be the And the bottom one, one also, if you look really closely, has a pentagram. It does have a pentagram. So that's Malkut, the you know right. man. Right. Um, but all the other ones mm-hmm. have um, supposedly Saturn symbols. So at the one at the top at the position of Keter has the scales on it of Libra. Yes. So Libra's ex- Saturn is exalted in Libra. And the sun is so in fall. It, so it's showing that, mm-hmm. yes. And so it's, it's kind of showing that Saturn rules here. Now the ones at the two and the three position. What are those? I, when I looked at it, I thought that they looked like compasses mm-hmm. that you draw with. But it could Snuffin be. Snuffin said they're hourglasses. I was going to say, they, the see, inside I they see, look like hourglasses. Once he said that, I, I could look closer and see that there's like hourglasses inside. I don't, I don't really yeah. understand the shape of them and the structure, but anyway. It looks like a They do have little, tool. and they also have little sun symbols on them, I think. I think that makes sense, though, in a way, you know, if they are measuring tools around the hourglass, because measurement of time, measurement of space, yeah, so Saturn Yes, things. hourglass being a symbol of Saturn yeah. or Capricorn, you know. Yeah, um, kind of makes sense. Yep. And then the other ones all have fourfold crosses mm. or tau crosses, which, again, is Saturn because the tau is the universe card, oh, Saturn. Yeah. So it's like all the Saturn, 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 Saturn rules here, you know, everything. That's wicked cool. Is associated with Saturn just about, except for um, what's in 9 and 10. Yeah, they're definitely all turned against each other's. And the fact that, you know, at first glance, until you look closer, it looks like eight swords. Yeah, Even though it's not. It just, like, you glance at it and you see eight things sticking out. And until you, like, find those two hidden ones, you think there's only eight and you're like, what? But I think there's, like, I was thinking about that and that's kind of another way of of saying, so eight, you know, would be hoed. Mm-hmm. Mercury and the mind, mm-hmm. the suit of swords, mm-hmm. and this is the the last of the cards, the ten of swords. So it's sure. kind of like another way of saying the end of the line for the suit of the mind. That seems significant. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. And uh, the fact that they put the Libra, even though it's yes, it's exalted Saturn up there, but it is an air sign, so you know, kind of wanting to emphasize. Yeah, exactly. The, sort of the beginning of the suit back in the two. By the mere fact of having devised four elements, the current has derogated from the original perfection. This is just about the ten, what Crowley said. Uh. Uh, oh, I learned a new word here. The solar influence rules ruin can never be complete because disaster is asthenic disease. Yes. I did not know what asthenic disease was. Did you? Uh, no, but I looked it up. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I know that now. <laughs> so I guess we should share, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> asthenic diseases are diseases of increase. So when, when, when the condition gets greater and greater, and that's what causes the disorder as opposed to something that weakens and weakens and leaves you uh, um, attenuated in some way. As soon as things are bad enough, one begins to build up again. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's um, kind of like the dawn after the dark night yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, it really is. They talk about Candide cultivating uh, I, his I garden. I really like his quote 
When all governments have smashed themselves, there still remains the peasant. Uh, from from swords to discs. From swords being the government intellectual structures to the peasant being the farmer of the land. Oh, perhaps, yeah. You know? I just thought it was funny and sort of comforting in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let the government smash themselves. There still remains us peasants. That's true. I guess it's comforting. Yeah, yeah. And this is the same passage where he talks about the logic of lunatics and philosophers. <laughs> yes. Reason divorced from reality. I think that's great, yep. that phrase. Yeah. And he also mentions Candide and his debate with mm -hmm. the with the pessimist, which mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty cool too. Like, you know, the pessimist was all the woe is me, woe is me kind of, you know, yeah. that man is doomed to live in crushing misery or lethargic boredom <laughs> was, was his <laughs> argument. And, um, yeah, you know, yeah. Candide thought that the cure was toil in the garden because then you're too busy for philosophy. Right, right. Cultivate <laughs> your garden. It's funny, I actually associate Candide with this card because I was supposed to go see uh, my sister. She's a violinist. She was playing in the pit of Candide one day and uh, when I lived in New York and I had my wisdom teeth out and they gave me codeine and I got knocked out. So <laughs> Ten of swords, you know, on the couch. Yeah, pinned to, to the it. couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so another thing that he says of this card. I'll get out my other set of notes here. So he says that in the Yijing, soul in Gemini is the virtue of the 43rd hexagram, the watery modification of the phallus. So, okay, I went down a complete wormhole last night trying to figure out what the he was talking about. So he, as we know, we've been through two sets of court cards already. He had a very logical, systemic way of dealing with eaching and the court cards. He would take one, you know, one trigram for each element and combine them until he got the logical of all 16, resulting right. 16 mm -hmm. hexagrams. So I, I went and tried to figure out what he was doing with these. And he only made it through the solar cards. If you read through Book of Thought, you'll find five different hexagrams that he associates with the sun cards, and he doesn't associate anything else. So I found literally only three sources, Book of Thought 777, and then this commentary on the I Ching. Those are the only three sources I could find about what he did with it. And some dedicated Thelemite managed to sort of tabulate his two systems of hexagram attribution. And I was like rubbing my eyes last night trying to make sense of this damn thing. So I wasn't able to. What he does, it's all based in the Kabbalah. Basically what he does is he associates a trigram with each of the Sephiro and he associates like Da'at with one trigram and the remaining seven below that with trigrams. And he attributes them to elements and the sun and the moon in a really super weird way. I don't even understand. But the five solar cards, the only thing I could find about them that, that seemed to tie them together at all is that each contained a trigram either for the Da'at or the Malkut. Hmm. Reference. That's very interesting. It's very weird and very interesting, and in which he, but because, it sort of makes sense because he considered yeah, in a way phallic is also like the Malkut of the yeah. uh, uh, the supernals, you sure. know, kind sure. of sure. And he considered Malkut to be yoni like. So, depending on how much fortitude I have, I may try and go back into this three hundred page commentary and figure out what he was Oy. doing, but I might not. 
Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that one of you brilliant nerds out there is going to like take this as your mission and figure out what he did. But anyway, so hexagram 43 is pretty interesting. It is the hexagram uh, Gwai, I think. Yeah. Uh, which has the Chesed trigram over the Da'at trigram or the Lake trigram over the Heaven trigram. It's the one that's called eliminating. So makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a hexagram of decrease, which what could be more decreasing than death? <laughs> but also what's interesting is the idea that it's the lake over the sky. So what happens when, you know, water, a lake of water in cloud form is over the sky? Well, that must be why he said, he, he, he said it was to do with water and the sun. Yes. 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 So the, the overall, yeah, the hexagram, why the watery modification of the phallus sun thing and the harmony of those two trigrams. It represents the damping down of the creative impulse. Weakness, well, death corruption. will do that to you. That will do that. <laughs> And he said that it counsels the ruler to purge the state of unworthy officers. I don't know. Um, well, you know, one of the meanings I got for that uh, hexagram was removing corruption. Yeah, so. yeah, that's good. That makes sense. He says that uh, the invention of written characters to replace knotted strings. I saw that. Wasn't that fascinating? Yeah. Is yeah. ascribed to this hexagram. Yep. So there's a Gemini, Thoth, Mercury thing mm-hmm. going on there. Yep. And he talks about 10 as the key of the Naples arrangement and Apollo as patron of literature and the arts. Anyway, I don't know, but I don't really understand how he gets water generally out of the Ten of Swords. You know, well, I'm not... I don't know. There is that sure. water in the Wait Smith version. There is yeah. something to do with water there. But, you know, I just mm. don't get it as far as Sun and Gemini. And his correspondences don't seem to, like, conform to any grid. Well, so. that the hexagram has to do with water, and the yeah. Chinese had all those water asterisms in the, that constellation. True. True. They had the uh, House of the Well, the Amphora, the North River, the South River, and that axe for the squanderers of water. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's what he was thinking, because, you know... Yeah, maybe. He was into Eastern uh, he certainly was. stuff a lot. But, you know, it's not really like him... When he sees a system, he likes to code things. He by did systems. say though something like, "I think that everything except that fits fits with." Yeah, the, okay, you know, right. I think he, he made a disclaimer there. Everything but that was parallel to the meaning of the card, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he does say yeah. something like that. So he was just trying to sort of say, like, "Well, I see it, but <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to ignore it." <laughs> I don't know. I, I really would love to figure that out, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. Oh, and uh, I don't know where else to mention this, but. Kopik says something about this Deccan being associated with Praxidike. Did you see that? I did, yeah. Yeah, which is cool, because she's like... The exactor of justice. Yeah, as opposed to DK. She's more of a punisher. And that reminded me a lot. So I happened to be working with the Orisha Tarot by Andrew McGregor this week, which is just released. I'm going to interview him, so I'm getting to know it. And in his justice card, he has like four different Orisha, four different gods who have different concepts of justice. So there is, in that tradition, the god Ogun is kind of like the Praxidike figure, you know, the one who you're afraid of because it's like instant death, the not the thinking ult- it the through, ultimate penalty. not the slow wheels of justice, but the instant acts. So it was interesting that they had a similar sort of concept of different kinds of justice. 
It's less of a scary looking card than the nine is, though, I think. Ah, definitely. Yeah. And the color is so very solar, too. I mean, you can see the yellow patch behind the, the red sun there. I think it's because the the nine is Mars, you know, Lord of Terror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Let's move on. All right. <laughs> yeah, well, we go. got all kinds of toothpicks in the cosmic egg there. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tabula Mundi, Ten of Swords. Uh, also worth getting out your son and lover's cards. That cosmic egg, that Orphic egg mm-hmm. is uh, what's pierced with eight of the swords. Eight for Mercury, being Gemini. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the two snakes from the sun card are being impaled on the sword and the stone motif from the lover's card. It looks pretty final. It looks pretty final. And it's right yeah. through their heads, uh, Resh, uh, mm-hmm. their sword, the swords going through their heads. And I like the eight swords of Hode kind of thing going on in the egg. Yeah, so the egg is that um, that Orphic egg from which Fane's the Lightbringer was born. It's the world egg or the Orphic egg, and uh, of Kronos, who is time, and Ananke, necessity or fate. Right. So time again. We have that Malkut ten Saturn universe Earth whatever thing Mm -hmm. going on, and then you know, and then fate. You know, the the inevitable, the inevitable conclusion to things. If you add time to fate, inevitably, inevitably, this this is what happens. Yeah. So then we have the sun in the sky, but it's being kind of obscured by those clouds. And those clouds are cirrus clouds, Mm -hmm. which in a couple episodes we've talked about those descriptions of weather. And for air, it's always types of clouds. Yeah. And for Gemini, it's cirrus clouds. Oh, cool. So that's why cirrus, that's that's why cirrus clouds. (laughs) Here's another card we've discussed, one of the swords cards that has clouds like these. Which one is it? Probably the queen of... um, cups that has this as one of her decans okay so yeah uh, so oh, there that she would is. be yeah. It, that would yeah, yeah. so yeah. see the same yeah, same type same, of clouds but hers are over, over the moon in different color yeah and i think that that you know that queen of cups is having this as one of her decans i think you know her familiarity with this dark night of the soul is what lends her empathy in one way yeah, um, right. Yeah. yeah, she has two cups deckens. So mm-hmm. there's the, uh, you know, the emotional nature, but behind it all is this realization <laughs> yeah. of finality of things and and, yeah. and and that having feeling for it. Yeah. So the, they're obscuring the sun. Yeah, so again the sun, the, the mm-hmm. summer solstice, the sacrifice of the sun, the decrease of the sun. Yeah, and then you have a black sort of gra- background to the card. Um so the colors of the card are mm-hmm. uh the the colors of ten of swords, the one color, the mm-hmm. single color, is actually the fourfold color because it's Malkut. Mm-hmm. So the fourfold colors of russet, olive, citrine, and black uh, flecked gold. It's really beautiful. And yeah. the black flecked gold is really interesting because to me, I think that that symbolizes the solar influence you know, the dawn, yeah. the dark night and the dawn that's yeah. embedded in it, that's mm-hmm. part of it. It's kind of another way of saying that, that within the darkness, there's still the coming light, the flecks of light, the flecks of gold. Yeah, yeah. I love the colors of the clouds. 
then we have the colors of the associated majors. So with the colors of the lovers, you know, the yellows and, and pinkish colors, um, orange and pink. Yeah, you've got a new leather egg. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the colors of the sun, obviously, the yellows and mm-hmm. reds and ambers and oh, or- orange again, orange. Now, these are all different sorts of swords, although there's symmetry, right? They're not all different. There's symmetry between the two sides. Mm-hmm. So the two at the top are the same, the two, <laughs> the two flanking the Two central are the same, etc. Mm-hmm. Any particular kind of sword? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> just I just badass wanted to get badass looking swords, and I think they are. They're they pretty, are. pretty, pretty. They're badass. not only badass, but they're damaged, which makes them more dangerous. Some of them are. Is that damascene in the front? Looks like it. Yep, it is actually cool. damascene steel. And in the back too. The egg, you know, being pierced. There's that whole death and rebirth of the light and of the mind, kind of symbolized there. And you know, the the snakes are definitely they're not coming back. <laughs> so there's a situational death here, you know, end of yeah. game, game over, yeah. final cut, kaput. <laughs> associated with this card, something yeah. something ends. Yeah, we talked about oh, which which swords card was it where we were talking about leveling up. Oh, yeah. We were talking about success. The checkpoint and the level up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was... Uh, we were Maybe talking, it was a six. Was it the Earned success? Science? Yeah, yeah. We were talking about yeah. six of swords as earned success versus so. material success in the six of discs. We were talking how the six of swords is more like leveling up and the six of discs is more like getting a, you know, a casino payout. Uh, payout. But if the six is like leveling up, this is like the fail, like, you know, when you're kicked out of the game because... Right, game over. Yeah, because you lost all your lives. You lost your tokens (laughs) in all your lives. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But then there's the new dawn. Yeah, you always can put in another quarter. The sun will rise again as long as you have change. (laughs) Literally change. Lord of change. change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what happens to Fanes? Doesn't look good there, does it? No. But, you know, he can come back. He's God. Yeah. <laughs> that this is probably the only way he can come back. Sucks for him. <laughs> it's almost like that box that the magicians use and the, the, la- yeah. the ladies in there. It and sure they, is. they put all the swords in there and they say, look, she's dead. And then, you know, at the end she comes out in her tutu and takes a bow. Yes. That's the new dawn, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. You get this one much? Not much. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. Yeah. I get it a lot just to mark the end of cycle. So I'll get it like on the last day of the school year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or finish a project, get the Ten of Swords. Also get it for, you know, when my kids are really awful or when I get migraines. But that's just sort of garden variety, swordsy stuff. You don't get it for acupuncture? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sympathetic magic, that's a thing I do all the time with this card. I literally, I seem to get it a lot on Wednesdays, so which is a mercurial thing. So I'll go literally to the sewing store and buy 10 needles yeah. or 10 yeah. whatevers, and that really does seem to help. Ten, 10, I always need needles, too. One thing that's really kind of interesting is that I got this on March 24th. I got the Ten of Swords and the Ace of Discs. And I went to the March for Our Lives. You know, it was after the Parkland shooting. And I thought of that as an act of, like, speaking for the dead. That, to me, was 
a way of taking the Ten of Swords, this horrible event, and planting something new in this Ace of Discs mm. by by doing that. I definitely associate this card with the things that upset us theoretically. So, you know, a lot of what goes on in the political news, it's upsetting in your head. Yeah. It's not necessarily affecting you directly at the moment, you know, in your real life, but it's very, very upsetting to your head. Yeah, when I get it, it's 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 definitely an end of something, but often it's the end of an idea or the need to, you know, check your intellect you know, yeah. and, and wh- what you're doing with it. And- yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there was one time in 2015, I got this and the tower one day. This is something that's you know, the only time I've gotten those two together, I think. Oof. And I was absolutely petrified. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, well, at the time, Zoe was drawing cards, too. Good. You got, oh, I, I think, think you got I think it. it fell. Yeah, it's, there he is. That was his Ten of Swords moment. <laughs> Ten of Swords, baby. <laughs> And uh, Zoe was drawing at the time, too. So I thought, well, maybe she'll draw something nicer. And she drew Ten of Swords. So I was really worried. I literally texted the family and I was like, just be careful on the roads today. I was out driving that day and there was just accident energy everywhere. You know how you can feel it sometimes? Yeah. So it was sort of forearmed is forewarned, forewarned is forearmed. Mm. And it was fine. But... Boy, that was not a fun day, just like you worrying. Know. Yeah. Well, I guess I was just extra careful. And it well, maybe perhaps because you were extra exactly. careful. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can get through this stuff. And I think it's worth paying attention to. And uh, if you're going to be vigilant at all, you might as well be vigilant when you get this card or the tower or both at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So this card. The po- only positive things you could say, like we already mentioned, the end of delusion, if it's a spiritual matter. Yeah. Light upon matter, the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. Um, and mm-hmm. the fact that the worst is over. You For know, sure. Whatever was worrying you in the nine, well, it's over and done and you should move on. Yeah. Purge the dirge. Purge the dirge. And I guess, you know, I don't really use reversals and as opposites, but... I do use them as transitional, and I've often found that the reversal of this card can be the swords falling out of your back, you know, things getting better. So an energy leaving instead of coming in. I still wish that we had nicer things to say for our Ten of Swords friends, but... Well, you aren't your cards. You You aren't your cards. You have the power of free will, and you can turn anything around into something positive if you try. That's true. And I think that those born in this deck and have an enormous power of transformation just from being familiar with the energy, being familiar with what it is to think yourself into a corner and what you have to do to get out of it. So, you know, I think that that's, that's an incredible power for those who by dint of their nativity or their experience are familiar with it. All right. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah. (laughs) It's about time. (laughs) Okay. So um, Lord of Ruin, uh, we talked a lot about the sun and what is happening to it and what it is causing to happen in this final decan of Gemini. The summer solstice being the sacrifice of the sun, the precursor of the battle between the Holly King and Oak King. The diminution of the light. Yep. The contrast of this sun card to the sun cards of virtue, pleasure, prudence, and power. <laughs> All of the uh, the death in the stories of the twins. Candide's pessimist friend uh, saying man was doomed to live in 
crushing misery or lethargic boredom. <laughs> and Candide just went to go toil in his garden and said, F this. For sure. Uh, F this philosophy stuff. Ten of spades, follow many trades, and thrive by none. The dark hour before the dawn. Hexagram 43, eliminating or decreasing. Eliminating, really. Decreasing is a different one. Yep. Yeah, eliminating and um, eradication. Fane is the light bringer. The ultimate penalty of the sword. Praxidike, the exactor of revenge. Sthenic diseases. <laughs> uh, the murder of Thomas Beckett in his hair shirt with his sword through the head. You know... We had all those mutilated heads in the five and seven. I know, why not here? Don't you think we should have one here? <laughs> I was expecting it, too. Yeah. The prana mudra, the reinvigoration of life. When all governments have smashed themselves, there still remains the peasant. Yeah, yeah. The runes that lead to love, the ten of swords to the two of cups. The sensation of exposure and nakedness after eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge. The axe for squanderers of water. <laughs> oh, all those twins, too. Dylan and Lou, Horace and Set. Catherine Pollux, Cain and Abel. Ahura, Mazda, and Ahriman. The crew of the Argo, including Castor and Pollux, numbering 50. Number no, of noon, death. the number yeah. of death, yes. Yeah. Hebrew letter noon. Trying to sleep with the lights on and going mad. And all the multiple tragedies of Jason, the grandson, great-grandson of Hermes, and his sorceress wife, Medea, and all the death and unhappiness that unraveled. <laughs> well, I hope this has been enough of a downer for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Purge the dirge. Purge the dirge. God, I love that. <laughs> all right. So this has been Happy Hour at the Moline residence. <laughs> Actually, it's about to be happy hour at the Moline residence. We are done for the day. Uh, and we will be moving on to courts next week with the King or Knight of Swords. And uh, I have nothing more to say. <laughs> anyway. The end. The <laughs> end, folks. Thanks for sticking with us right through the end. And we'll see you next week. And that's our show for today. You can find us, as always, at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. But there are also a number of other places you can find me and Mel on the internet. All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarocart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. That's also where you'll find the adorable new pocket-sized decks as well as signed and matted prints of her artwork. As for me, my book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is coming out from Llewellyn and is available for pre-order online at Amazon Book Depository and more. You can learn more about that at my website, www.tsusanchang.com. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints, as well as my Zodiac perfumes. Perfumes for the next month's sun signs are always on sale at the year's lowest price. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash tarotista. And if you'd like your very own Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. You can find them at our Red Bubble shop. 
The address for that is redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. Go on, get yourself something. You know you deserve it. Happy shopping to all you heroes of the astral plane. We so appreciate your support. (laughs) 